Hey, welcome to How About We Do This Together, a podcast ministry of the Northwest Christian Network. I'm Troy Dean, and my co-host is Matt Holmes, oftentimes Daniel Malaputi, and with many other speakers. It's a podcast where we ask a question and answer it at the same time. How about we do this together? Hey, everybody. Welcome to How About We Do This Together, a podcast of the Northwest Christian Convention. This is uh, at the end of day two, and we are focusing on higher education today. And we are speaking with the uh, presenters from tonight's session. We're really excited to be able to have this conversation. My name is Pastor Matt from Turner Christian Church. And uh, with me are... Hi, I'm Derek Voorhees from Boise Bible College in Boise, Idaho. Again, the president, the president of the Boise <laughs> Bible College. My name is Troy Dean. I'm campus pastor and a professor at Bushnell University in Eugene, Oregon. And I'm Gary Selby, and I teach ministry at uh, Emmanuel Christian Seminary at Milligan University in East Tennessee, Johnson City, Tennessee. Awesome. Thank you so much for being here. Today we are talking about uh, Derek Voorhees gave our uh, Inspire message and talked a bit about his testimony and and just a, a case for the value of higher Christian higher education, which I've, I found inspiring, which was the, the goal. And you, we encourage you, if you haven't heard it or watched it, you can go to www.mynwcc.org slash endure. You can find that link in the show notes. Uh, and you can watch the presentation that he made. We're just going to unpack a little bit extra to go a little bit deeper into it. And so, yeah, we're really excited to have that conversation. So thank you so much for the word that you brought today. Mm. Well, and, yeah. and obviously, I mean, higher education is, I'm there at one of these institutions. You're at one and you're actually at one as well. So we have three different kind of categories mm. of a Bible college, liberal arts university and a seminary. Mm -hmm. And so, and yeah. you've probably been a part of all those kind of things in some level too. So I, I think we all have some vested interest in what it's doing. We, we've obviously decided, yes, this is valuable, worth of my time. I feel called to do this. But for those who are, again, still like asking questions about why does this exist? How is it better than something else? Like, how do we answer that question in a way that both connects to what their values are, but also obviously the deep belief in, in value that we have. Well, I mean, just to start, I'm, I'm, I'm somewhat of a newbie into the higher ed world though I've been on, you know, through a couple of levels of, of training, you know, and as the president, I'm still, you know, learning a great deal about the complexities of higher education. And then you add in the Christian complexities of Christ, of higher education and all of the, federal regulations of higher education and then they threw in the purposes of that for, uh -huh. for the church. So there's a lot that uh, I'm processing on this. I, I mean, I, I perceive that almost, it seems like almost every profession in our world, people adore the training that's required for that, except when it comes to ministry. Mm -hmm. Wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, and I'm not sure the reasoning for that. Part of it is, I can't completely push back against that because we really do want the church to, to thrive, want the people of God to do it so that in some ways what we do in higher ed is no longer needed because the church is so healthy and so mm -hmm. robust in its biblical formation and its disciple making processes that I don't know if that's ever going to be the day, but I mean, there was a day when institutions didn't exist mm -hmm. and the church was robust. So 
if we're still around for that, then I think there's some purpose for that. And every profession requires that precision. And I think that's what I see is there's a bit of a, um, a of a need for us to continue to push towards the excellent demand of kingdom work and the precision that's required in the marketplace of Christian leadership or the church of Christian leadership and it not be too sloppy. And kind of like I shared in my workshop, I think 99.9% .9 seems to be good, but it isn't good enough. Mm -hmm. It's not. And we know it. There's a lot of bumper sticker theology that's out there, you know, just the ideas of like, I'm a temporal human ready for eternity or getting, you know, I, I, I'm a, it's like, well, that, yeah, that's true. But that is so false because we're all eternally made, even while we're living in a temporal world for something beyond this life. And so there's a lot of 99.9% .9 phraseology out there that, that young students are gravitating to and, and placing their hat around or on that defines them that is so unbiblical. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so who else is going to be able to accurately say, have you thought about that? Troy, have you really thought about what you just said there? Well, what do you mean? I heard my pastor say that. It's like, okay, but have you thought about it through the precision of the biblical lens? Mm -hmm. And I don't know if, yeah. if, the church, if the church isn't going to do that, then who will? And I think that's what my passion is at the moment, that I want to see the church thrive. But I guess until I see the church and the Christian community be as robust and strong and as excellent as it desires to be by God, then we still have a role to play in higher ed to help assist the church to be precise. And I'm thinking biblically precise, accurately, yeah. sound. That's my starting point. Yeah. Um, you know what it made me think of is if we didn't have higher education, Christian higher education, where would our theology come from? I mean, obviously we have preaching, but, but in terms of the forming of, of people, like, so much of the Christian messaging out there now is business. And so a lot of people are formed by the songs that sell on the radio, right? That's right. Yeah. Which is it's popular culture. Yeah, yeah. Just, yeah. And even the songs that are accurate, theologically accurate, they're often one dimensional. And we were talking about this last night um, about what if the Christian radio had the same genre selection that the Psalms did. There's a huge difference between the content of the radio, Christian radio and the content of the Psalms. So if you're being formed by what's being sold on Christian radio, even if it's accurate, it's, it's only one side because that's what sells. It's the same thing with the leaders that you, know, that, that you have access to on the media and all that. There's just so much that it's just a matter of what sells as opposed to what's true. Mm. Well, can I add to that? Because one of the complexities that I'm guessing we have all understood in the role of the church, but especially in higher ed, uh, students are very, very passionate about the race issue or the injustices of Orlando, the, the race issue. And we're all about trying to hear them out and process that. And, you know, there's a few things that are really hard for me to um, be patient with. And I'm, I'm practicing that is, you know, Jesus was for justice and look, he was raised up as a refugee and, and those kind of generic things. And I'm like, okay, yes, but can we just think what the scripture, if it's an authoritative word, actually guides us with, with regards to how Jesus handled justice issues. Mm -hmm. And it seemed to be that he handled it person to person more than policy by policy. So if a student, you know, a college student wants to throw a tweet out 
or an Instagram statement that sounds like a, a broad swath policy sort of a statement and say, this is what Jesus would do. I would say, but are you personally incarnating that one-to-one from out of your own life? And that seems to register with a blank stare at me. It's like, well, what do you mean? Because it's a policy-driven justice or injustice idea. And I think the biblical idea that Jesus models in scripture that I'm trying to form in a biblical worldview institution is, how did Jesus really do it? How did he really handle that issue of injustice? Mm-hmm. It seemed to be he didn't try to change the Pharisaic regulations or the Roman governmental policies. He did it one person at a time. And I think I'm seeing our students struggle to do that one-on-one. So that's just one real-life example of students yeah. that are kind of up in arms of the injustices and how churches are or are not handling that well, mm-hmm. or how institutions of Christian base are handling that well or not. But almost a real inability for them to think Accurately, how did Jesus really handle injustice? And it seemed to be who is more person to person. That's just a thought that's that's crossed my mind of helping our students. And it's a worldview. It's like bumping against the frame of which they've been forced to think through from a social media feed. Yeah, and I and I to add to that in the same way, I think genuinely the way that we're having people kind of respond to the, the questions of the world are through social media. What gets hits, what gets retweeted, what gets followed, who gets followed, uh, what goes viral. Like these are all language components. Like we're adding language to the dictionary at like an epic rate because of the way we're literally changing our language to have to do with an internet, digital, social media world, right? FOMO, right? LOL. I mean, like, these are all things. So what ends up happening is we're, we're everything is is sound bites. You know, tweets became like this idea because they actually had a certain number of characters at one point, and then they expanded the characters. You know, it's like still not deep enough. You know what I mean? Uh, so I think the challenge is, is that how do we bring truth, the things that we're talking about, the, the ways that we're helping students in the educational arena, to bring a discernment. Mm-hmm to the things that are out there. Mm-hmm. Cause to me that that's the problem is it's not that there's stuff always out there. Like I have taught a class on calling for years and I tease the students because by the end of the class, we're really trying to grasp and, and wrestle with like some form of calling statement. And it doesn't mean that it's connected just to their career aspirations, but it's a calling under God. And it's both, um, it connects to who, what God is up to and how God has shaped them. And I joke with them and say, uh, live, love, laugh is not a calling statement. (laughs) If you can find it on a plaque in Target, it's not a calling statement, (laughs) right? It's decoration. And so the the challenge is that those three words are not bad words. People are like, yeah, I I need to laugh more in life. You know, I I need to definitely love people better. And I I really want to live. It's like, well, yeah, of course. But that's not a calling statement. Those are just three words that you've put together that has like... Again, it's even got uh, it's even got resonance. all starts with L, right? Exactly. It's like it's yeah. almost that's cute. You know, it was the three the three points of my sermon yesterday. But uh, yeah. it, you know, does that make sense though? Yeah, like, we have to yeah. teach this discernment about what's out there, not just what they're supposed to think, say, or do. And right? I think yeah. the church does that, but I, I perceive the Christian higher education institutions can be an ally to the church to keep that battle going, to keep forcing that as difficult as the conversation may be. Mm-hmm. So let me pivot this for a second, because one of the things that we have wrestled with is having all the answers. 
and how that yep. posture of always being right has not been healthy for us. Mm-hmm. So our perception is we're all ears and we have to patiently hear the students mm-hmm. and take a posture of humility to have, mm-hmm. to really guide them through that, not a telling them what to do or how to think, but actually hearing them to process through that at the higher ed level. And so that's, I think, posturing for them the value of Christian higher education as they step into whatever their calling is. I think that's that's one of the things that's unique to higher education that I remember being one of the things that we all said when I went into seminary was you don't come out with all the answers. You come out with better questions because so much of what we want is we want the Bible to be an encyclopedia where I can just look up the answers or I want to go to, I want to go to someone who can just give me the answers. And there are websites where I can search what does the Bible say about this thing and it can give me a compendium of verses on that subject. But what we really need to learn is how do I find, how do I learn from the Bible? Because it's not an encyclopedia. It's actually a very different kind of document. And I, my life was transformed by being taught by some very wise people to respect the Bible for what it is and not treat it like an encyclopedia and just pick out the verse that happened to come up in my concordance, you know, learning what the Bible teaches and how to learn, like what you were talking about, you can't just look up the word refugee or find an instance of a refugee in the Bible to know how it teaches us to handle those subjects. You look at how Jesus behaved and the narrative, and that is something that just doesn't come naturally to us mm-hmm. and and would be very difficult for me to teach someone from the pulpit. They need someone who learns that really needs to learn to be uh, a practitioner really needs to sit alongside someone mm-hmm. and learn from them in a different kind of setting. And so um, I personally think higher education is I was going to it's not essential, but I mean unless we have a better way, unless we come up with another way to do that, mm-hmm. you know, we need higher education. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I, <clears throat> Jesus, I think, was schooled on how to be a rabbi. Mm-hmm. He didn't just show up and with all the incarnation and knew all this stuff. He was in a process. We know with the school that he was a part. Paul mm-hmm. learned from a school. And so these are the, the theologians and obviously our Lord and Savior who are modeling something for us that is not necessarily just available on the street. Mm-hmm. Now that, that sounds really challenging mm-hmm. to the reformation that wanted the scriptures to be available in everybody's language. So everybody had access, yeah. but just because you have access doesn't mean you have discernment. Mm-hmm. I could give someone a, a tool to work on an engine, but if they've not learned how to use that tool and work on that engine, then I'm actually not helping them, mm. right? I'm actually expecting something that's unfair. So I do think there's a tension in this, and I don't know how to resolve it. I'm just, just saying it out mm-hmm. loud. That, uh, well, I think Stanley, Stanley Hauerwas would say, no, you don't get to just read the Bible and know what it means. Mm-hmm. You actually have to be taught mm. yeah. by someone who understands what this document is all about, these stories, this meta narrative, I mean, like all those kind of things. So I do think, I don't know if the church is ever going to get to that level of teaching, like how to handle versus how to apply. I think Mm -hmm. the church's primary response is to help form people in Christ. And then there's always going to be those who are teachers, right? Disciples taught, right? At some point in the first part of, of, of Acts, that we're always going to have this weird, awkward tension between those who do help 
us to learn and teach mm. and for those who actually help us to learn and apply. Yeah, I think the, the role that the church plays, and Gary, I heard this at the lunch today when you were sharing at the Emmanuel lunch or mm. Milligan lunch, that the church actually becomes the source of innovation for the higher, Christian higher education institution to then learn how to pivot in order to enhance the church. So our eyes are watching the bride of Christ a lot. And I think for us, that gains credibility of the statement of, well, Christian higher education is so irrelevant and is so heady and there's no practical benefit. It's like, I think there's some truth to that. So we're all ears and eyes watching you because we can learn from you, dear congregation, mm -hmm. dear Christian leader. And that helps us then in the classroom, our internships, uh, our programming, uh, the the co-curricular things. And you hinted at that mm -hmm. and some of the things that, that Emmanuel and Milligan are trying to do. Again, the end goal is to try not to be the source, but to actually help the source, Christ and his bride. Mm -hmm. So that's an angle that we have taken of, again, a posture of humility or seeking innovation as we watch the church work. And that's mm -hmm. helped us. Yeah. At, at Boys Bible College, we're trying to figure that out further. It's good. Yeah. No, that's helpful. You know, um, you use a metaphor, Troy, just a second ago that got me thinking about something my seminary advisor said. I, I don't know that he originated, but he said the Bible is a double-edged sword. It can be a switchblade or a scalpel. Mm. And I learned from him that I had been using it as a switchblade. And he was one, uh, kind of instrumental in teaching me to use it as a scalpel, but it wasn't, he was my theology professor, not my hermeneutics professor. So he taught it to me by his character and his behavior and the way he handled things in class and getting to do you know, life alongside. You end up spending so much time with, especially with an advisor. And and it, was, it wasn't just that he was a good example, but he was an example of someone who was a, an excellent scholar, very, very smart, very, and, and, and also a really good Christian person. And seeing those Amen. modeled together mm. was incredibly powerful mm. and convicting to me. And that's why I, I think it's great that, that especially Christian higher education is finding m many ways to be available to students and mm. like online and things like that. But for me, living at campus for seminary or, or nearby and, and being in the classroom and, and spending time with those professors, that made a difference. Mm. And I remember the example they taught me. I remember that far more than any particular lesson that he taught me. Uh, and actually, even that phrase didn't come from a class. It came from a conversation. Mm. Um, I'd have to find my notes to tell you anything he said in any individual <laughs> class, but that <laughs> formed me. Well, you know, the reality is that. that we, I mean, from what we know of human formation, we are f a big part of how we're formed is through processes of reciprocal imitation. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it's like um, uh, people would talk, you know, it's like as a, as a preacher and a church leader, I'm assuming that the content of my message is really the thing that's changing people. But in other ways, uh, it, uh, much more, it is the, it is the health of the community. And as people are living together, and I think, mm -hmm. you know, I think about, um, you know, the students might remember a little bit that I say, but they're going to remember walking alongside yeah. them. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that's, um. Hmm. That's so valuable. Yeah, I re that reminds me of, of an instance where I had somebody respond really well to a sermon, and it had nothing to do with anything I said. <laughs> it had to do with how I responded when the projectionist miss like got lost in the slides. 
and how yeah, I how I didn't you. respond. And I remember yeah. being struck by that, like, oh, that was the most important thing for impacting this person yeah, right. was the way I handled in front of everybody a disorientation, you know, something unexpected. And I got to watch that, you know, because uh, I could have given the best sermon ever and messed it up because I lost my temper or lost my patience or, mm. you know. Well, and I think, again, that's what I... <clears throat> The thing I'm wrestling with, this is kind of like my personal journey right now, because I'm I'm discouraged and disillusioned by the radical individualism that I think that is in our society and that I think has crept into the church. And what I mean by that is that the West has taught us this like very individualistic everything in my life. And yet we have the Eastern religion mm-hmm. that was written to you and that you was primarily a community of people, not an individual. Now, again, obviously there's exceptions to that. Obviously we have books that literally are written to a particular person who, by the way, was a pastor of a community, right? So it, like, it was always about who we do this with, that if there's an us on the other side of this. Mm. And my wrestling is that we actually have this next two generations. So if I, if I have to put myself someplace, I'm going to say I'm Gen X. The millennials and Gen Z actually live more communally on a certain level. Now it's a digital community (laughs) and it happens through Snapchat and texts and, and all those kind of things, but they actually process through hearing others first often than their own voice. And I think we don't know what to do with that. Mm. I think the church is actually struggling because we're trying to put them in the same room so that they really do community. (laughs) And we're like, uh, I think they have actually figured out how to do community with all you all. Now, was it healthy or not? I mean, that's not the question I'm asking. I'm just, that's how they're doing community. Mm. So how are we now as an incarnational people going to help bring, again, discernment, connection, and all those kind of bodily forms of that community in a way that is both glorifying for God and does represent the people of God of who he's called us to be the one another's and those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. But I think that they actually are more communal than the generations before them. Hmm. That's it. I don't know. I mean, I wonder about that same, because like everything I know says, wow, if you don't have bodies in a room, it's really Mm -hmm. hard, you Mm -hmm. know? Well, I don't think it's complete, but but I think it's incomplete. Absolutely. (laughs) But at the same time, I think it's interesting to see, you know, I mean, I tell my students, it's like, you know, for when I first came to, to Emmanuel, I thought, I got to figure out what the church is going to look like so I can teach for that. And then I kind of realized, I, I, none of us know. I mean, I think we're in a moment where I'm not sure where it's all going to go and what it's going to yeah. look like. And the, the forms that we live with are forms that represent a particular cultural moment. Yep. And so and the, so mm. things are changing and they're going to be the ones that, that figure it out. And I want them a, to have a a deep biblical and theological foundation as they do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but also, you know, th- there is something for me as a, as an oldster <laughs> about being able to say, it's probably going to look different than mm-hmm. what I grew mm-hmm. up with. Take a breath. That's going to be okay. And yeah. not automatically. I mean, I want to challenge them. You know, I, oh, of course. Um, I remember one time, <laughs> you know, having a, a group of students that I lived with for a year in a study abroad program. And we, part of what I did was we, I would lead worship. Or I would kind of help facilitate worship and they would lead and, you know, what they wanted to do when they put the, when they'd sing is they want to turn the lights out. 
and 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 I said, well, I, that's fine. You know, I mean, we could do that sometimes. But tell me what's happening when you do that. And mm-hmm. and as I probed a little bit, it's like, okay, you're going into your very little personal uh, worship cocoon, and um, and what are we? If our practices create our imagination of the church and of the world, what is the imagination of the church? That we're creating in that moment. Hmm. Well, it's a bunch of isolated people. Is that the body of Christ? Well, no. Well, maybe we could turn the lights out some, but sometimes maybe what we need to do is leave the lights on and look at each other in all the awkwardness because that <laughs> enacts the body of Christ. Well, oh. but again, what have we done <laughs> with individual communion? Yeah. Oh, yeah We've yeah. told people go get your elements, take your own personal time of communion with Jesus, and then we'll kind of sing. I out think of they that. need to come up and. And I look them in the eye and say, "The body of Christ, <laughs> the blood of Christ, that's the correct. cup of life." <laughs> that, that's where I. That's that's where I want to say, okay, that's what the church is doing. But is that really what we're supposed to be about? So again, that's why I think that we get to be. Maybe that is part of the role of education. And this is full circle now. Maybe we really are, in some ways, a little bit prophetic, not just. Mm responsive hmm. right and there's a, there's this two Good edges point. right that we're listening to the church and seeing what is i mean it's hard because it's popular it's good i got a list the other day in the email and it's from ccli right which is you know the reporting you know <laughs> uh, you know institution for us to be, get permission to use copyrighted material for worship and it gave me the a list of about nine to ten popular songs for this last month or whatever it was, right? And I'm going through. I'm like, yeah, I recognize that one. Yeah, I recognize that one. Hey, that one's a little bit older than I thought. And and I got. I'm working with students who are kind of really connecting to some of the newer stuff that's out there. And I'm recognizing things. And I'm like, oh, this is great. Do you know what the last song on that list? This is CCLI, the worship songs that that churches are downloading and using in their services the, from their own reporting, right? The top ten. Top ten. Number 10 was America the Beautiful. <laughs> wow. Now, again, I don't know if I need to make any commentary on this at all, other than the fact that that is on the list. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I mean, I, part of my struggle is um, when I see the direction of sometimes church goes, I think, what kind of teaching have they had? Mm-hmm. You know, because I think as you were talking about the discernment that has, gives us the capacity to go, you know, I don't think that's mm-hmm. how God wants us to respond. And I get Memorial Day was probably that during that month. So, you know, that one showed up on a Memorial Day <laughs> Sunday and we were, you know, again, but I just, I, I get, that's where I'm like, I think that there, there's does need to be a prophetic voice. Mm. Maybe it's in higher education. Maybe it's going to come from outside of it, whatever that is. But I think we need to be more attuned to that today when we live in a world that is so culturally moved away from what we would maybe, I think maybe we can agree on is like a deeply shaped and formed Orthodox faith in Christ Mm -hmm. Jesus. Mm -hmm. When you talk about wondering what they've been taught, um, you know, that one of the challenges as a pastor, especially now, my people can learn anything from anyone. I am not the, by any means, I may not even be the preacher they hear from the most, but I'm also certainly not the source of information or doctrine, so to speak, that they hear from the most. And I remember reading uh, a survey talking about how pastors, uh, like the major- over 50% of pastors were concerned that their church might be worshiping the United States more than God. And that's, that means that those are the pastors who identified it and disagreed with it. Because the ones who would agree with it, who would be teaching that would not see it that way. Mm. 
And so there's also this sense that pa- it may not be coming from the pastors, but the pastors just don't know how to mm-hmm. how to affect it. I know mm-hmm. that's a challenge that I always have is I want I want to respect people's uh, convictions, and especially since there is a lot that is good and and worthy in, in their convictions. But there's also an idolatry, and how do I speak to that? And 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 how do I speak to that in a way that is not just divisive in another from another angle? And that's where I really need to be able to handle scripture well, and and on a level that I can't learn just by being a member of the church, but by being educated on a different level of being able to identify how can I use that scalpel to figure out these things are good and worthy. This is where we've taken it too far. This is responsible citizenship. This is idolatry. And be able to make that case to people who've committed to the Bible but don't see the Bible saying that yet. Well, and, and I, let me – can I sum up and kind of close with a, with, a, with a thought? I remember a story being told years ago, and I, I think it's true. I, I, mean, like, I want to think that it's true, right? But it was a story about the fact that uh, – and it, it, it's got a kind of a political component to it, but I, that's not the point of the story at all. It's a national prayer breakfast. It's in Washington, D.C., and the keynote speaker that was invited to speak and, and to pray at the prayer breakfast was Mother Teresa. And she was, in her own theology and in her own beliefs and in her, in her components of justice and gospel, probably opposed in a particular area to the current president of the country. She spoke very profoundly and strongly and with deep conviction and beauty about how we need to treat life with great and eminent value. When in the room, the the, the kind of awkward moment was the fact that she's talking about a pro-life response in the world with a president who would say that, you know, they're, they're more pro-choice. The president then had to come up after this amazing sharing of passion and truth. And it is people it's mother Teresa. <laughs> like, I don't know where, on, where you believe all these kind of things, but if you throw mother Teresa under the bus, I think that's pretty much an e-ticket somewhere else. Right. At the end of the day. And his response was both brilliant and telling. He says, it's really hard to argue with a life so well lived. Mm. And I thought if there's anything that we're trying to do, in our places of higher education is helping people to live a life that's really hard to argue with because it's so well lived mm-hmm. in the image of God through the, the life of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. How, How about, about we, we do, do this, this together? together? <laughs> that's actually really close. Hey, thanks for listening today. We genuinely thank you for your time. Just pray that you would actually find ways to collaborate with others for kingdom things. How about we do this together?